Thank you for listening to the Celebration Church podcast. For more information about Celebration Church, go to ccacron.org. There you will find information about our church, upcoming events, and how to make a contribution to the ministry of Celebration Church. We hope this message is an encouragement to you. I want to, we're going to start, we're going to start, I, I definitely am not going to get anywhere near fin- finishing these notes today, um, but we're going to start today a series on the seven sayings of Jesus from the cross, and uh, this is our Easter series. I pray that through this series, as we dive into to the words that Jesus spoke on the cross, that, that the reality that you'll see for yourself, our suffering Savior on the cross. I pray that I pray that somehow through the through the words that are spoken, through the teaching, through the reading of the word, that that through this series you'll see the power of what Christ did on the cross for you and I. The resurrection, his death, his resurrection. I pray that you re-engage. You know, sometimes we get we we disconnect with with our the foundational doctrines because we hear them so often. We we hear about Easter Sunday and and somehow or another the the Easter bunnies and the eggs have filtered in and replaced our uh, our priority. I'm not saying there's anything wrong with those things. I'm just saying that they replace sometimes our priority on Easter and what the Easter message really is. That, that Christ came, the creator of the universe, stepped into creation and became a man for you and I. And, and not only did he become a man, not only did, did, did he become this God-man, but he went to the cross willingly. Everybody say willingly. He willingly went to the cross for me and for you. The power, the power of Easter. I pray that through this message that you will reconnect with the power of the cross. The power of his resurrection. It's awesome. It's awesome. We're going to take a fresh look at it. It's, it's awesome. 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 So the words that Jesus said on the cross, seven things we're going to look at is the, the word of forgiveness. I, I want us to, I, I'm probably only going to get through an introduction of this series today. I'm not going to get in, into where I really want to go, but I'll, I'll give you an introduction at least. There's the word of forgiveness, which we might get to, to today. There's the word of salvation, the word of affection, the words of anguish, the word of suffering, the word of victory, the word of contentment. I don't expect you to know all those, but you'll get them week to week. But the point is, there are seven things that I want to capture and begin to feast on with relation to what Jesus was going through while he was on the cross. As we consider the nature of Christ's death, if you begin to look through and study and understand the death of Christ on the cross. I want to look at and maybe capture some of the elements of Christ's death. One, it was a natural death. Here Christ was, Emmanuel, God with us. I want you to understand this eternal God. How could an eternal God die? How could a God who is outside of time and space give up his life? Here is Emmanuel, God with us, the light that shone in darkness, willingly laying down his life for you and I. Came as a man, God came as a man and died. He suffered and died. The eternal, do you hear what I'm saying? The eternal God, 
The eternal God. The eternal God without time or space or limitation came into creation. Took on humanity. Emptied himself, Philippians says, emptied himself of all deity. Of all, all power. Emptied himself and died on a cross for you and I. Willingly died. Emmanuel, God with us. This eternal one. Philippians 2, 5 and 8 says, Having this attitude in yourself, which also was in Christ Jesus, who although he existed in the form of God, did not regard equality with God a thing to be grasped, but he emptied himself, taking the form of a bondservant and being made in the likeness of men. God, there's a powerful statement that the, the, the creator, God, the eternal one, took on the form of a man. Took on the frailty of a human man. Took on the infirmities of a human man. Took on the limitations and gave up his life for you and I. It was an abnormal death. It was abnormal in the sense that here is one that was not guilty who did not deserve to die. Romans 6.23 says that the wages of sin is death. And Jesus was perfect without sin, and yet he died. The one who was perfect, the one who was blameless, the one who, 2 Corinthians says, who knew no sin became sin for you and I. It was abnormal, and that the innocent died for the guilty. Christ died for you and I. We were guilty of the blood of Christ. We were guilty. And Christ died for you and I. This, this death was determined before creation was ever formed. And the eternal counsels of, of our God. He knew before the fall of Adam. He knew before creation ever existed. That the plan of redemption. The plan of salvation would need to happen. And so in eternity past, the Father and the Son had a plan of redemption for you and I. That while we were still sinners, Christ would die for us. And so it was not, it, Adam's sin did not take God by surprise. When God created you and I, our sin did not take him by surprise. When God created Adam and Eve, their failing, their sinfulness did not catch him off guard. He had a plan already in place. He didn't turn to Gabriel and say, oh no, they just blew it. Creation's going to explode now. What do we do? He had a plan in place. And that plan of redemption is what carried year after year, thousands of years, through the Old Testament on into the New Testament. This plan in the, in the mind of God, this plan of redemption that overlooked the sin of men in that time, knowing that the ultimate sacrifice was coming. Yeah, God could have said of the ultimate, you're, you're dead, you're, you know, sin. I'm holy, gone. But he had a mercy, even in the Old Testament. We see the, the mercy of God portrayed in the sacrifices and the, the acts and the rituals of the, of the Old Testament temple that were shadows of things to come. And even in those, even in those moments, God had mercy. How was that possible? Because in the mind of God, there was a plan called redemption that was being worked out. That redemption plan didn't, didn't happen. It didn't, it didn't just start when Adam sinned. 
It started when God said, let us. The plan was in place before Adam ever sinned. It was determined beforehand. Can you comprehend with me today the magnitude of the redemption that was portrayed on the cross for you and I? Do you, are you beginning to understand the magnitude of the salvation plan that was laid out for you and I that before, before creation ever happened, God knew you? Before creation ever happened, God saw you, saw you in your sin, saw you in your infirmity, and said, I have a plan to redeem them. I have a plan to redeem Kathy. I have a plan to redeem Mike. I have a plan to bring fallen man back into relationship with me. The magnitude of his death for you and I. It was determined beforehand. It was supernatural. The nature of his death was supernatural. Christ laid down his life. No one took it from him. We know this. Christ willingly. He, did, he was not powerless in the hands of his enemies. Jesus was never powerless in the hands of his enemies. When they came and arrested him, when Judas kissed him, when they beat him, when they questioned him, when they nailed him to the cross, when they shoved the spear into his side, Jesus was never powerless over any of those circumstances. But he willingly went as a sheep led to the slaughter. He willingly gave up his life for you and I. Consider the 500 soldiers who at the word, I am he, fell to the ground under the power of God. He was never powerless, friend. At any moment, he could have called on the angels to rescue him. At any moment, he could have spoken a word of curse or justice over them. But he chose not to. It was supernatural. We see that Christ was never exhausted during his death. He continually held his head high like the sheep being led to the slaughter. It wasn't until he came to the end of his life when he laid his life down and he gave up his spirit that he said that it, the scripture says that he bowed his head. His head wasn't even it didn't even fling his head down. It was it was this gracious attitude of, of prayer and humility and brokenness for you and I that he bowed his head before his father and gave up his spirit. It was supernatural in that he was fully aware of himself and the fulfillment of scripture throughout the process. In John 19, 28, it says, After this, Jesus, knowing that all things had already been accomplished, after six hours of hanging on a cross, knowing that all things had been accomplished, he knew in himself that the word and the prophecies concerning him had been fulfilled. Scripture had been fulfilled. And he said the words, I am thirsty. He was holding his head. He was in full recognition. He never got exhausted. The Holy Spirit enabled him to endure this test and this trial for you and I. His mind was never clouded. He was fully aware, fully cognizant. Of the full wrath of God that was upon him. We see his character on the cross. He was the lamb led to the slaughter. He held his head. He, he, he bowed at the appropriate time. Jesus 
had received the wine and he said, it is finished. And he bowed his head and he gave up his spirit. He never was rebellious to those that were crucify him. He was not rebellious to the plan of his father. He humbled himself. He had the character of Christ on the cross. What he taught and what he preached was exhibited to you and I on the cross. He didn't, no one took his spirit. He gave up his spirit, his supernatural, and that he gave up his own spirit. He said, I, into your hands, I commit my spirit. And then it was supernatural if you consider the signs and the wonders that took place at his death. Remember what happened? The earth began to shake. The rocks broke. The veil of the temple signifying that the, the presence of God that had been confined to the Holy of Holies was now accessible to everyone. This veil of the Holy of Holies was torn from top to bottom. That was impossible to happen. But it was the it was the sovereign act of, of God saying to you and to I that access, free access, has been paid for by the death of Christ on the cross. Oh, death, where is your victory? <laughs> death, where is your sting? But thanks be to God who gives us victory over all things, who gives us victory through our Lord Jesus Christ. Amen. Yeah, the, the nature of Christ's death. And then he says these words, and, and we'll see how far we get in this. But, but in, in Luke 23, in Luke 23, verse 33, they had come to the place called Calvary. In some translations it says the skull, or Golgotha. There they crucified him. And the criminals, one on the right and one on the left. And Jesus said, Father, forgive them, for they know not what they do. And they divided his garments and cast lots. And the people stood looking on. But even the rulers with them sneered, saying, He saved others. Let him save himself, if he is the Christ, the chosen of God. And the soldiers also mocked him, coming and offering him sour wine and saying, If you are the king of the Jews, save yourself. And an inscription also was written over him in letters of Greek, Latin, and Hebrew. This is the king of the Jews. Then one of the criminals who were hanged blasphemed him, saying, If you are the Christ, save yourself, save us. But the other answered, rebuking him, saying, Do you not even fear God, seeing you are under the same condemnation? And we indeed justly, for we receive the due reward of our deeds. But this man has done nothing wrong. Then he said to Jesus, Lord, remember me when you come into your kingdom. And Jesus said to him, Assuredly, I say to you today, you will be with me in paradise. Now it was about the sixth hour, and there was darkness over all the earth until the ninth hour. And the sun was dark, and the veil of the temple was torn in two. And Jesus had cried out with a loud voice. Notice that he cried out with a loud voice, not exhausted. He said, Father, into your hands I commit my spirit. Having said this, he breathed his last. So when the centurion saw what had happened, he glorified God, saying, Certainly this was a righteous man. And the whole crowd who'd come together to that site, seeing what they had been done, beat their breast and returned. And all of his acquaintances and the women who followed him from Galilee stood at a distance watching these things. One of the first things that Jesus says, when the first, the first word he says from the cross, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. 
Here we find Jesus, the healer of the sick, the one who raised the dead, the one who comforted those who mourned and those who were broken. The one who was the light shining in the darkness is now being crucified by the worst, is dying by the worst means, being put to death. It is a curse. Deuteronomy 21 says, Cursed is the man who hangs on a tree. They took the, took the hands that healed the sick and nailed them to that tree. They took the feet that were carrying the gospel of peace and nailed them to the tree. The one who had heard the cries of the broken himself was not being heard. And in that context, Jesus says, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. We find Christ with an attitude of prayer. He's, he's in, in this moment before the Father praying for his murderers. What does that mean for you and I? Don't lose hope. It doesn't matter how bad the situation may be. You keep praying. It doesn't matter how bad the people are or how hopeless or how lost they may be. Pray for your enemies. Pray for those people who persecute you. Pray for your lost family. Pray for the hopeless situation. Jesus, in the middle of his death, in the middle of his murderers, is praying for their forgiveness. There is nothing outside of the hope of Christ. There is nothing outside of the saving power of God. Keep praying. Keep praying. None are beyond the reach of God. Does your situation grow darker and darker? Keep praying. The earth may be shaking. The skies may be dark. But lift up your voice to God who hears you. He prayed for them in their ignorance. He said they don't know what they're doing. He prayed for you and I in our ignorance. We don't know what we're doing. We're lost sheep without a shepherd. And he prayed for you and I. This prayer, Father, forgive them, became the seed for the harvest on the day of Pentecost. Father, forgive them, became the prayer that was answered on the day of Pentecost when over 3,000 made decisions to follow Christ. Father, forgive them. This, this word of forgiveness, this prayer of forgiveness was one, a fulfillment of prophecy. Prophecy Concerning his intercession for you and I. Isaiah 53, 12 says, Because he poured out himself to death and was numbered with the transgressors, yet he himself bore the sin of many and interceded for the transgressors. Christ was regarded as a criminal for you and I. And in the place of being accused as a criminal, he prayed, he interceded for me and you. In Hebrews 7, it says, The former priest on the one hand, existed in greater numbers because they were prevented by death from continuing. But Jesus, on the other hand, because he continues forever, holds his priesthood permanently. Therefore, he is able to save forever those who draw near to God through him, since he always lives to make intercession for you and I. Isaiah is prophesying concerning the intercession of Christ on the cross. Hebrews is speaking with, with a, a rear-view mirror view, so to speak, seeing Christ on the cross who made intercession, who continues to make intercession, lives forever, and is able to save you and I, the world. Save sozo to the uttermost spirit, soul, body, every part made whole in Christ. He's our heavenly intercessor. In Isaiah 53, Christ, this 
This word of forgiveness. Father, forgive them. In Isaiah 53, Isaiah prophesies concerning the treatment and the humiliation that Christ would go through from his enemies. He was despised and rejected of men. He was a man of sorrows, acquainted with grief. He was wounded. He was bruised. He was chastised. He was led unresistantly to the slaughter. He would not, be, he would not speak. He would not bleed as a sheep would before his shears. He would not only suffer at the hands of man, but he was bruised by God. He would pour out his soul to death. He was buried in a borrowed man's tomb. And he was considered to be a criminal. And all of these things that his enemies were placing upon him. And ultimately what you and I have done. In this moment is when Christ cried out in a prayer to the Father for you and I. Father, forgive them. They don't know what they're doing. Secondly, Christ in this prayer, he identifies, he takes on the nature of man and he identifies with, with mankind. What does that mean? Throughout Christ's ministry, we heard him say words like, your sins are forgiven, be healed. Remember, the religious leaders got mad at Jesus because only God could forgive sin. Forgiveness of sin is a divine right. That Jesus carried in his earthly ministry. But now he's hanging on a cross. And he doesn't say, I forgive you. You're forgiven. He says, Father, forgive them. We see the transference of Christ's kingship. His lordship. This divinity. The right to forgive is now transferred. He's now taken on the sin of the world. And he's approaching the sin of the world as a man saying, Father, would you forgive them? He emptied himself of his right to forgive them. And he identified with humankind and said, Father, as our intercessor, Father, would you forgive them? No longer am I in a place to do that. I am carrying the sin of the world. I have taken on their sin. I have taken on their frailty. I've taken on their infirmity. I've taken on all that they'll ever do, think, say, speak. The, the words that they'll say, the actions, they, everything that, that they do and they don't do that sin. I've taken it all. Father, have mercy on them. Forgive them. And he begins to plead our case before God. In this prayer, Father, forgive them. They don't know what they do. We see the blindness of the human heart. And that Jesus said they don't know what they do. The emphasis here is not on that they don't know. The emphasis is on they don't know what they do. In other words, they don't know the enormity of the crime they're committing. They were blind, but their blindness was not an excuse for their sin. This same Jesus who was dying for you and I on that cross, who was crying out with a loud voice, Father, forgive them, who was praying, who was interceding, was praying for the ones who were murdering him. They don't know what they do. You and I don't know what we do. They didn't know what they do, were doing. Their heart was blind to the enormity of their sin. How true that is for you and I today. We sing songs about the holiness of God. 
We preach sermons about the holiness of God. We talk about the justice of God. But oh, how we do not understand how great and how enormous our sin really is. They were blind, but they were not without excuse. They had shut their eyes to the beauty of the Savior who was hanging before them. Here in this moment, they had the Savior of the world. They had God on a tree in front of them. And they missed it. They shut their eyes to his beauty. All they saw was a criminal. All they saw was a beat up monster who couldn't even be recognized because of the beatings. And they missed this was God hanging on a tree for them. They shut their ears to his cries. And their heart was hardened to the Spirit's conviction. In the middle of this, Christ crying out, Father, forgive them. Reminds me of Christ's own teaching when he said in Matthew 5, 44, love your enemies and pray for those who persecute you. Christ became an example, a living epistle for you and I. He became a living example. He became a living example that we can read not just what he taught in the pages of the Gospels, but he exemplified it in his life. That in the middle of his death, oh yeah, people done did you wrong. They've hurt you. They've spoken evil about you. Jesus was being murdered and beaten and crucified and said, Father, forgive them. Pray for them who persecute you. Have you endured to the point of crucifixion at the hands of your enemies? Pray for those who persecute you. If you cannot forgive, how can you expect to pray to God to forgive? If you can't forgive them, how can you pray as Jesus prayed? Father, forgive them. If you hold malice and ill will in your heart to those that have done evil against you, then how can we, like Christ, say, Father, forgive those who have done evil to me? And here we see in Christ's prayer, Father, forgive them. The greatest need for all mankind is that we need forgiveness. We need the forgiveness of God. We need God's forgiveness for our sin. Romans 3.23 says that we've all sinned. We've all come short. We've all sinned. And how great is our sin? And that sin has separated us from God. We are all in need of God's forgiveness. And there's only one way to obtain that forgiveness, and it's through Jesus. Jesus said, I am the way, the truth, and the life. No one comes to the Father except through me. You know, in our, in our human minds, we, we consider forgiveness as a lessening of the, of the uh, crime or the punishment for the crime. When we forgive someone, we're, we're being lenient towards their crime. And in, in, human, in human conditions, that might be, but not so with God. The punishment for the crimes of humanity called sin were not lessened. 
The wrath that Jesus took for you and I was not a portion of God's wrath. It wasn't a minimal. It was the full weight of God's fury and wrath towards you and my sin. And it was laid on Christ on that cross. The punishment was not lessened. He bore it willingly for you and I. And in the middle of bearing that sin, he cried out for you and I, Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they do. How great is the redeeming love of God. In the middle of the vileness of humanity, the worst of the worst, if we could say, crucifying our Christ. Men had done their worst to Christ. Here, the created being has turned on their very creator. You and I, the created being, these men who were murdering Jesus had turned on their creator and were killing him, murdering him as he willingly laid down his life. What a picture of redeeming love. His love suffered all things. His love endured all things. His love overlooked a multitude of sin and kept no record of wrong. 1 Corinthians 13. How great is the love of God. How great is this redeeming love that in eternity past, the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit made this plan of redemption the Father said to the Son, if you'll go and become the propitiation, if you'll become their sacrifice, if you'll take the full weight of the wrath and justice of their sin, I will pour out, I'll make a promise, I will pour out my Holy Spirit, the promise of the Father. I will pour out my Spirit upon them. And I will bring them back into relationship. How great a redeeming love. Oh, when we talk about this wondrous salvation we've been given. Oh, it's not just words that we're reciting. It is how great the salvation of God. When we talk about this wonderful, blessed Holy Spirit who's been poured out. And we talk about the baptism and the Holy Spirit. Friends, these aren't just words in a book. The promise of the Holy Spirit was a promise made between the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit regarding it's tied into redemption. We receive this wonderful promise because of redemption. But you and I can walk in the fullness of the Spirit of God because of Christ's sacrifice. And we settle. We settle. Every day we settle. Every day we settle for pleasures that don't satisfy. Oh, they might temporarily, but, but in the scheme of eternity, and the plan and the light of eternity, we're so foolish. We don't know what we do. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. 
I don't know. And yet, in the middle of all this, he has mercy on you and I. Oh yeah, the mercy of God is so rich and so pure. We didn't, we didn't deserve this mercy, and it certainly wasn't free. It cost Jesus everything. He laid it down. He emptied himself of divinity and went to the cross for you and I. His earthly ministry, he was both God and man. But here on the cross, we see him in his, as the son of man who's taking on the sin of the world and crying out, Father. Father, forgive them for they don't know what they're doing. Lord, help us. Help us, Lord, to hear those words as they were spoken on the cross that are still being said and proclaimed today. Jesus, you're our heavenly intercessor. And you're still saying the same thing today. Father, forgive them, for they don't know what they're doing. Lord, help us to see the magnitude of our redemption. Help us to see the, the cost and the greatness of what was displayed on the cross. While we were yet sinners, while we were yet enemies, while we were yet enemies, you loved me. While I was yet an enemy of God, while I was yet an enemy, I didn't deserve it. I didn't even know I needed it. How great is the love of God. Thank you for joining the Celebration Podcast. For more information, visit ccacron.org or call us at 330-762-7458. You can also download the Celebration app from iTunes or the Android store. With my father, it's so awesome.